0: Hey everyone, this is the DVM Divas podcast and today we're going to talk about the reality of ownership. Then Melissa is going to share her mom that when and is going to share her life sale and I am going to give a clinic hack that was donated by one of our lovely Instagram followers. Join us as we go beyond the stethoscope.
1: Welcome to DVM Divas Beyond the Stethoscope. It's no secret that the veterinary profession is dominated by women. In fact, we make up over 60% of the workforce and that number just keeps growing. But it's not just the numbers that are growing. Our stress and frustration levels are climbing at exponential rates between social media challenges, public misconceptions, and the constant competition with Dr. Google, we're finding it harder and harder to be happy and fulfilled veterinary women.
2: Because of this, depression and suicide rates are at all time highs in our little corner of the world. And in order to help us combat these things, we need an outlet. We need a safe place where we can open up and discuss all of the issues that we are currently struggling with. So, listen along as we, the DVM Divas, discuss our trials and our troubles, as well as celebrate our wins and accomplishments. And join us as we forever test the limits of what it means to be a badass woman in the veterinary industry.
0: Follow us on Instagram at DVM Divas. Like us on Facebook and join our group at DVM Divas Beyond the Stethoscope. Want to discuss something or interested in being a guest? Email us at admin at dvmdivas.com or comment on one of our social media profiles. We hope you will come along and leave your stethoscopes at work and join us. Laugh with us, cry with us as we take this profession back from discontent. Grow with us as we remember why we ever wanted to be veterinarians in the first place. Hey ladies, how are you today? Good. Good, how are you? Good. So today we want to talk about the reality of ownership we obviously are always scouring the Facebook pages and seeing how ownership can actually be amazing and offer people so many benefits, Mm -hmm. but it also can be detrimental and it also can be hard and it also can be tiring. Yeah. So yes. So let's start with ownership background. So I obviously am not an owner. I never was, but I have previously thought about it in the past. So I know that you two have Owned and currently owns practices with other people. So who wants to share their
1: background? I can go first. So I have a little bit of a unique situation in that on paper, I am not listed as an owner. I am listed as an associate. And that was a very deliberate decision because when my husband and I were at the point to buy into our current practice, there were two other owners already, two other partners. And for us to both buy in we would have had to come up with double the amount of money. And the other two partners were not entirely comfortable with us then being basically 50% owners. I mean, yes, we would be individuals, but you know, collectively we would be 50% out of the practice. And so it was mutually agreed that uh, my husband would be the one to actually buy in. So he is considered legally the, the other partner. I am still designated as, as an associate, but... It was explicitly understood and agreed upon that I would have owner privileges, basically, that my opinion and my vote would count when it came to making major decisions, that policy decisions, purchasing decisions, you know, those sorts of things that I would be granted the same respect and the same consideration as the others and setting my schedule and those sorts of things that I was basically had the same same status as one of the, the full partners. And I can say that now it's been maybe not Quite 10 years, but it's been quite a while since we've kind of had this arrangement. I have never had to challenge that role. Like I've never felt that I was not honored or respected as an owner. So it has worked out well for me. Now I know that situation is unique, but it was two partners and my husband and myself originally, one of those partners and retired. And so then it's now just my husband, myself, and one other partner basically that have the business. And it's been like that, like I said, for for many, many years. That's kind of our ownership story.
2: And so I guess I went through vet school a little bit later, knew I was wanted to be an owner from before I went to vet school. I got out, got a job very quickly, was given an opportunity to buy with one other partner. And we did good for a few years, but then life literally happened. You know, both of us, when we started this partnership, visiting about it initially, neither one of us were married. Well, then I graduated, got married. We really started talking about buying in. Well, then kids came, she got married. I think life just diverged literally. And so within three years of buying um, was faced with you know dissolving a partnership and selling. So my journey is short, (laughs) but it's still something that I'm very, very passionate about. I learned a lot in those three years. And if I can help, I guess my whole point and purpose, especially now with talking about it is, trying to help others through that journey. And also I did relief for a long time, which that's kind of my own business and going in and now being an associate, my attitude and view of, you know, practices is a little bit different knowing what it's like to be on the other side of the table. So, um, it's been kind of a bonus
1: And I think the fact that you have been an owner and then you have not been an owner, you went through that whole process, like you said, of dissolving that partnership is such an interesting and valuable perspective because I think it just goes to show you that life happens and keeps happening. And even if your plans change and you decide, hey, you know what, this isn't working, that's okay. And there's zero shame in that. If nothing else or if anything else, I think that shows so much wisdom and growth and say, you know what? This isn't working. This isn't right. This needs to end. And that your life didn't end. You have gone on to thrive and done quite well and it didn't crush you. You know. And, and I don't know, I didn't know you at that time. So maybe... I'm assuming there was some pain, there was different feelings, you know, of that type of of things coming to an end. But here you are. And I have seen some recent posts of some people, women especially it seems, that have taken on the challenge of ownership and their struggle is so immense right now and they feel like they're drowning. And part of me kind of wants to say like, look, if you need to duck out from ownership, and I know I'm oversimplifying it, I don't know everybody's finances. And yes, there are finances financial consequences to doing that, but it's okay that it doesn't work out too.
2: And that's, I know from going through it, and that was, you know, that was my dream for so long and letting that dream go. I mean, it is crushing, it is failure, and, you know, all of that negative self talk that comes up. And so I completely understand it. And it doesn't mean that ownership's off the table. Right. It just means right now, it's not for me. Now, many years out from it, it's a blessing, you know, given where we were and what we were doing. I know we've talked about it before. My husband is also a veterinarian who does on call. And, you know, Melissa, you know too the on-call that both of us would have had, I wouldn't have gotten to spend time with my girls and that it's okay if your priorities shift and change and things are in season and things fall out of season. I think your point of nothing is permanent is a very good point because there were points I know for me and then speaking to practice owners since, it feels like if you're not an owner or the business doesn't float or that doesn't go, everything's going to end. Your world will stop And that's what it feels like. I know now from being this side, this far out, it didn't. Was it hard? Yes. Did it suck? Oh my gosh. But there's a point where you look back and say, I'm glad I did it. It was hard. There were some icky days. I'm glad I did it. I learned so much. And like, where are we going next? So I think
0: that was a really good point to bring up Melissa. And I'm glad you did. I think with our profession, we change so much that even myself, I've evolved so much that we don't know what's going to happen. And you say that it was a good thing that it happened. And I I always firmly believe that everything happens for a reason. And if something's not working out, then you have to change because you still need to be happy in the profession. You still need to be happy with what you're doing. The profession takes so much out of us that we do need to be happy. And if we're not at that point, there's nothing wrong with changing what you're doing.
1: If somebody were to come to me and say, I want to be an owner, I want to pursue ownership. I want to buy in. I want to be a partner. They were asking me for one piece of advice. I guess maybe what I would say is it will be hard. It's going to be hard. There's nothing about it that's easy. Don't expect for it to be easy. Don't get discouraged when it's not easy and just hang in there. There will be rewards. There will be great rewards for it, but it will not be easy. I don't know if it's just sort of this idea of the American dream or, you know, this fantasy of I. Want to be my own boss, you know, all these sort of images that we all have grown up learning and hearing. And, you know, especially from a female and a women's standpoint of empowerment. And it is amazing. And I am not minimizing any of those things. But just because your name is on the outside of the building as the owner, or you sign the lease or your name is the one signing the paychecks, that will not make it magical and great. That's not the end point. That is just the beginning. I guess my thought is please don't go into it. Expecting that once that happens, that's going to be the pinnacle of your accomplishments because it will only get harder. And I don't care how long you keep doing it. It does not get easier. And I don't mean to say that to discourage anybody from doing it because the things that are worth doing are hard. Vet school was hard. Practice is hard. You know, all these things are hard just because you are the owner and you are the boss doesn't make it less hard. Please don't expect for it to be less hard.
0: So let me ask you guys a question. Melissa, did you buy? I, you guys bought into the practice. So it was already established and, and you started one up, correct? No. So my business partner
2: and I bought the existing practice from two, there were two gentlemen that were partners that owned it and we bought it from them.
0: You know, I've thought about practice ownership previously. And sometimes I wonder if maybe that's more what I should be doing. What is, I know you said that it is hard, Melissa, Mm -hmm. what is probably the worst thing about practice ownership that you can say one, one thing?
1: Being responsible for my employees, not just being responsible for their actions and being the manager and being the disciplinarian and, you know, setting policy, but knowing that if our business fails, they don't get paid. You know, that's a lot of pressure and that's a ton ton of pressure. And it's not even just, I may not get paid. Honestly, it's, I need to pay my team. And we have been fortunate and, and I will say that it is a different animal when, pun, I guess, maybe intended, (laughs) there is a big difference between a startup and we did buy into an established and successful practice. So that element of pressure wasn't exactly there like it would be for somebody who is literally starting from ground zero. So I do have a ton of empathy for those who are in that struggle because that does have a whole nother layer. Just knowing that ultimately the decisions I make will affect the business. And if the business doesn't succeed, it's not just my finances, it's those on my team as well. And that is probably the biggest pressure that we hold.
2: I would agree completely. Cause I know when, you know, there was a period of time where partnership was dissolving, we didn't really know what was happening. And all of a sudden, you know, I was looking at my family and saying, I don't know if you're going to have a job in a month. I don't know if you're going to have a job in two months. And granted, like it all turned out fine and they did, but that the thought of them. I knew their families. I knew their situations. I knew how much they made. And I know how much it costs to live where we live. And there were medical expenses on their end. And to stand there and say, like, I'm going to tear up just thinking about it. I'm sorry.
1: No, no apologies. Absolutely mm-hmm. no apologies. This this
2: is why we're talking about it. Yeah. This is the reality. And I, I think you were really, cause at first when you said that Melissa, I was like, no, that wasn't the worst. And then I was like, no, actually, yeah. Like when it all came down and it was all falling apart, that was the thing that kept me up at night. Mm-hmm. That was the thing, the thing that, you know, these people put their trust in me to provide for them. And I was going to fail them and I was going to fail them big. And it was actually one of my technicians. She, I was sobbing in the back and she came and she grabbed me and she's like, Annie, we are adults. Mm -hmm. we are grown-ups we know how to work I will have a job within 48 hours knock it off
1: (laughs) (laughs) and that's awesome and amazing
2: not many people would do that when your boss is falling apart in the back room yeah but that means you had a really good team that made it that much worse. You know, like the fact that she (laughs) was like putting me back together. I was like, "Ah." but I would say that's the hardest. And I think the best advice, if you are thinking about practice ownership, start finding a mentor Mm
1: -hmm.
2: and not actually not just one Yeah, mentors. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I did as a fourth year is every externship I went to every internship, whatever I did, you're the business owner. Can I look at your books? Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me how you've developed your practice culture? Mm -hmm. How do you hire? How do you fire? No firing. Oh, firing's the worst. (laughs) How do you handle, like, how much does your practice manager do? What is your marketing like? And literally, because I didn't really, I did a little bit with like VBMA in school. I had a lot of accounting classes in undergrad. And then I just started asking. And I found that like some people were like, that's not appropriate. So Mm. go do what I ask you to do. Okay, fine. Thank you so much. Okay, you're not my mentor. This is not my mentor. Like, this is not the practice and the culture that I want to be a part of. So I'm not going to really pay much attention here. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do a good job. I'm going to put in my all, but okay. And then I went to a few that from the day I found out I was going to buy in, they were the ones that I called to the day I found out that I was done. They were the ones that I called, but they showed me books. I got to see the last five years worth of numbers. Mm -hmm. One of them particular was like, all right, here's my books. You're here for four weeks. Let's go. Like, what do you think I can change? What do you think I can tweak? What do you know? Bounce it back and forth, and that was invaluable.
1: This is how much my drug bill is every week, every month. Yeah, when I, you know, a big one. it is a huge bill. Like what well, before I was an owner, I never saw the bills. I mean, I I knew they were there before we were owners. I was allowed a little bit of ordering leeway. Like I was allowed to kind of order what I wanted. But until you see that invoice where it is thousands, multiple thousands of dollars every month that you have to pay, oh my gosh like, holy crap, that's a lot of money. You get really good about making sure you don't miss charges on your ticket. And you're starting to contemplate, oh, should I give them that free nail trim? Cause I like them. And they're this cute little old lady. And it's like, um, I got to pay that bill, you know, until you see the actual number. So yeah, I agree. And if you are thinking you want to be an owner at any point in your career, it is never too early to start asking to see the reality of ownership. But one thing that has been really, really helpful to our business, and I I really do encourage, it's scary. I know it's very scary for some owners or for some people to, to consider this. Not only opening your books up to possible associates or future owners, open your books up to your team. Yeah let your team see what it actually costs. Let them see, not payroll, obviously don't ever do that, but let them see what your tax payment is. Let them see what your property taxes are. Let them see what your utilities are. Don't hide the reality of that. So when they're kind of complaining, and I don't want to say complaining, but when there's frustrations about they don't make enough you know, maybe we should be more lenient with what we're charging or, you know, there's, I don't know, you know, some of those frustrations come up, let them see the actual numbers, let them be a part of it. You know, that kind of ties in a little bit of loyalty. It ties in connectivity to the business side of it.
2: The transparency is invaluable. I mean, the fact that you're being that transparent and that open, I know where I work now. We actually on just yesterday had our state of the business meeting Uh and we sit down and everybody gets to see what our practice numbers are, what our growth has been, what our goals are. And so it's not just the owner saying, don't do that. We want to do this. It's our entire management team saying, all right, guys, here's what we did. Here you go. And everybody's included. I mean, we have new hires that haven't even hit their 30 days yet. (laughs) And they were sitting in the seats. And so, I mean, the level of trust and camaraderie and the transparency there,
0: I think is invaluable. No, I have to say, like, as being an associate for so long, I never saw the book. I don't have a business background at all. Neither did I. I have no idea. I started in my current position, I started looking at the numbers, I started seeing exactly what's going in, I started being a part of all of this, and it blew my mind. I knew it was expensive, I knew it was a lot, I get it. For the past two years, it's making me realize that I have to make sure I'm charging for what I do, Mm -hmm. because I need to make sure, like you guys said, that our staff is getting paid, that everything is going to be running appropriately, that we're going to be able to continue and make a profit, because in the end, it's a business, and you need to make a profit. Exactly. Exactly. Just like every other business. Yep.
2: And let's just take a timeout. Three women just said on camera, it's appropriate to make a profit. (laughs) It is appropriate. (laughs) Pay ourselves. (laughs) Pay the like feed the family.
0: Yes. And take a vacation sometimes. Yes, you should. Absolutely. This brings me to a point where there's a lot of people that want to be business owners. There's a lot of people that want to own vet practices, but I've seen many owners not know how to handle a practice. I know people who have it's gone wrong, and I sometimes wonder if in school or somehow we should be told that we need to take some sort of business ownership class to get us used to the numbers. Because as an associate, you know, if I ever owned a business, if I knew what it cost and I knew how to run a business, I could not only make it more profitable because I understood it and knew it, but I can help the owner in case they're having issues. Mm And I think that if the schools got involved also, or someone helped, we might be able to have better business owners, more thriving practices, stuff like that, where people aren't scrambling.
2: But when? I just read an article this week that, you know, the biggest complaint in general practice is that schools are kicking out students that don't have skills. Like medical skills? Yeah. Like they don't have just practical skills. And so I probably
1: didn't have very many practical skills at a school.
2: Right. I mean, and none of us do. And yes, that's the point of like good internships, good mentorships, all of those things. But then, you know, I guess my point is putting it on the school, but when, you know, we did have a VBMA chapter. I was a member of it, not super duper active. I think it, it, it's got to fall back on the student to want to do granted. Yeah. I think it's a good idea that everybody be exposed, but
1: that's a good point. And there's so much to learn medically. There's so much to learn and not even medically, but even just socially and, you know, to make you a better doctor that has nothing to do with the business of owning a veterinary practice. But I think also one of the misconceptions is, Oh, you only need to worry about it. If you think you want to be an owner. And if you know, you don't want to be an owner, you don't need to learn it. Any of these things, but we already kind of touched on it just a little bit. It will make you a better associate if you have some concept of it, because you will be bringing so much more to the practice that you go to. If you have a foundation and the economics of what you're doing, that will make you a better associate. It may not necessarily make you a better doctor in the traditional sense, but it will make you a better employee and it will make you a better owner if that's where your path takes takes you. So if I am looking to hire a new grad or a new associate of any kind, somebody who comes in who has at least some idea of the business side of things, I'm much more likely to hire them. They may be a brilliant clinician. They may be a brilliant diagnostician, but if they can't understand the challenges that I have as the owner, they may not be a good fit for me.
0: So I think the other aspect is I feel like owners feel like they should be there 110% of the time from open to close seven days a week, giving out their cell phone number Oh, no, never. You get what I'm saying? A lot of these places that are rural or, you know, I mean, I have three emergency hospitals in basically my town. You guys do not. So wanting to build that practice or keep the clients, I feel like a lot of veterinarians feel trapped that they have to do. Is that something that you guys feel or felt? Yes, for
1: sure. And it's been an evolution of sorts. If you would have asked me eight years ago, my answers would have been a lot more accommodating to our clientele of, oh, we have to be available all the time time. As I've gotten older and I've gotten a better relationship with boundaries and I appreciate those boundaries, I'm not as hardcore on that as I used to be. I do not give out my personal cell phone number to clients ever. Now, granted, I do have have overlap where I have many personal friends who are clients and so they have my cell phone number, but I will say not many of them abuse that. They have my personal number is because I do have a relationship with them and so I'm not as upset if they text me or message me. There are so many options for taking after-hours calls that do not involve your personal cell phone, that there's no excuse to be using your personal cell phone. I'm sorry. There is not. If you are doing that, stop doing that. Stop it. Do Google voice. Google voice is free. There is no charge for that. So do that. That maybe that's my number one piece of advice. That number is sacred. It does not go to clients. Stop it.
2: I would agree with you, Melissa. I think my answers a few years ago are a lot different than what they are now. I find myself now saying a lot of the things that my mentor said to me when I was young. You train your clients. If they're used to reaching you all hours of the night and they're that's what they want and need and that's what you're giving them, then that's going how they're going to behave. Retraining clients is difficult, but it's worth it. From my own experience and then reliefing at many different practices, one of the best things you can do next to mentorship, so you've got mentorship. Next up, you build yourself a support team that you can trust and rely on. Within the practice, you get a darn good practice manager or lead technician or head receptionist, whatever you want to call them. Somebody who can just physically help you with tasks because you make the most money in an exam room, in the operating room. That's where your doctor. Skills are used, you're bringing in income for the practice. That's where you make money. You need to delegate some of those tasks that somebody else can do to somebody else who <laughs> yep. you pay less to be there. Build your team. It takes time and it's hard. You have to hire, you have to be willing to fire, mm-hmm. and you have to build the team. You also need a team outside the building. You need a good accountant who's familiar with veterinary practices. Yes. You need a good lawyer who's familiar with business and veterinary practices. You need a good insurance agent. (laughs) Yes, you do. And I would develop a good repertoire with your city officials, Mm -hmm. police department, fire department, dog catcher, (laughs) you name it. Excellent recommendations. All of those. (laughs) And if you go into a partnership, you need your own accountant and your own lawyer separate from the business and separate from your partners. I mean, you need that support team outside that has some skin in the game because your success is their success.
0: So now what are the biggest pro about owning your own practice? Scheduling control.
1: For me, that is by far the biggest privilege because if I want to take off an hour early to go watch my daughter at a school play or a basketball game, I can do it. And I don't have to ask permission. That is, to me, the number one luxury of being the quote unquote boss is that I have control over my schedule. And I have control over my schedule into the point that I have told my receptionists and my assistants that there's times when I've said, you know what? I have a lot of bookwork I need to get caught up on this afternoon. Or honestly, I've even told them, look, I am mentally fried right now. It has been a crap Week, let's keep it light today. Let's not schedule 16 nail trims and rabies vaccinations when we don't have to, you know, let's make it a little easier on ourselves because we can, you know, and we have a healthy business. We have a healthy profit margin. We have the luxury of being able to do that some days where our world will not come to an end if I don't book myself up for 10 hours a day. And so that would be the hardest thing to ever give up. If I was not in an ownership role and I was at At the mercy of somebody controlling my schedule, that would be tough. That would be really tough to give up.
2: I'd have to agree with you, Melissa, and I would probably take it a step further in that my career was completely in my control. So my schedule was in my control. My ability to earn was within my control. My culture was in my control. I picked who stayed. I picked how we did. Nobody told me how to practice, which maybe right out of vet school should have had a little more direction there. No, (laughs) we kept our mentors around the, the The guys that we bought from stayed with us. So they yeah, were really good. Yeah. But um, I mean, all of those things I had more say over and I had more control over, which evidently I have control issues, but no, I'm just <laughs> kidding. But that part of it really, really appealed to me. I also really like vet clinics. I don't know how else to say it. I love that team. I love how it's a family. And I love that I got to breathe life into them every day. Okay. Maybe not life. That was exaggerated. <laughs> but I got to support them and I got to love on them and I got to push them and challenge them just as much as they pushed me and challenged me. And so that team and that working together, I think was probably my favorite part of it.
0: Now, I know, and you are no longer a practice owner and Melissa, you are. So uh, this is going to be a separate question for each of you, but around the same thing. Do you ever see yourself not a practice owner? No,
1: you know, honestly, I do fantasize about, man, what if I just had to show up, do my job and leave? That simplicity is there for sure. But I think we all know that it's never that simple. Even if you're not the owner, that's never going to be the reality of veterinary medicine. Even if you do practice in eight to five, no emergency practice, that's not the reality. Like you take your job with you no matter what. But sometimes I don't know as if I dream of not being an owner and just being in a traditional associate role in veterinary medicine. I think I dream of not being an owner and being in some sort of role completely away from veterinary medicine, like selling office supplies or something like that, where there's no pressure, nobody dies. I can play with pretty pens and staplers. I sort of fantasize about that.
2: Working at Staples. Right? Oh, I would love it. So I worked at a big box store for a while in between master's and vet school. And that actually is what made me go to vet school. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I just need to take a break and do like a week internship
1: at something like that. Go to Staples and work for a week and be like, Oh,
2: right. This is
1: why I don't do that.
2: (laughs) Well, look at your paycheck and how much you get paid per well, hour when
1: you're too. done. You know, and let's not overlook that. There is huge potential financial benefit to being a practice owner. It may not come right away. If you are a startup, I don't even know how many years that might take you. It may take you five years. It might take you more. I I don't know. There's so many variables on that. So that is one thing that I don't want people to go into practice ownership, especially in a startup role, and think this is going to be my key to financial freedom immediately because that will not be the case. I don't care what business you start. I don't care if you start an office supply store. I don't care if you open a A restaurant. A podcast. A a podcast. You're not going to see that return on investment immediately. You have to come to terms with you personally may not get a paycheck right away. And one thing that I have noticed is that there seem to be a lot of teams. We are a husband and wife team, so I don't want to exclude ourselves. But strictly from a a startup standpoint, if you are going into it as you're going to be the practice owner and you're going to bring along your partner or your spouse has a team member in that startup, you now have all of your eggs in one basket. I mean, that's an overused cliche, but you really need to ask yourself, can you deal with now that pressure of all of your income? now must come from this business because that puts a lot of pressure on that business. And that pressure may take away the joy of being a part of that journey and enjoying that journey. If you are so stressed out that you can't pay your mortgage, you can't pay your student loans, you can't buy Christmas presents for your children because you know that you have to pay your receptionist and your technician and your assistant first. So if you are not comfortable with that, if you are not at a point where, financial financially, you're comfortable with that risk, I would urge you don't automatically put your partner or your spouse on that team. Wait a few years, let them do something else for a while. Have that safety net, have that income that's there to kind of keep you afloat. Once you get things going and things are running smoothly and you feel like that's a good decision, then think about it. But I will tell you working with your spouse and working with your partner is a whole different thing for a whole different episode.
2: There's a lot of creative ways to do it though. You know, Mm -hmm. I've seen some where a partnership team goes to a practice and one of the partners will go moonlight at the ER clinic or do vaccine clinics or, you know, there's lots of, and not even in vet med. I mean, you could, like you're saying, branch out to something else entirely just to make sure that you're floating, you know, just to make sure that you keep going while you're in those startup phases. And I think there's lots of ways you could do it.
0: So now, Anne, would you ever own a practice again? In a heartbeat. I love it.
2: But I think I love it. And I would love to go back. But I think just kind of like talking about it now, you know, my passion is helping veterinary teams and helping owners. And I think I love that more. Mm -hmm. So I don't necessarily know if I'll ever own my own practice again, but I will own my own business again, for sure. So
1: well, and one thing we haven't fully touched on is that you will have to be unpopular. You're going to have to fire people. You're going to have to set policies that are going to be uncomfortable for people. And it does go back to, like you said, Anne, picking the team and making sure that the people on your team understand your vision and, and your values and that kind of thing. But that goes back to this sort of romantic idea of being the boss and being the leader and, and you know, and, and everybody will love you and everybody will follow you. No, there will be times when they won't. And that's going to suck. And There's no way. You can't sugarcoat that. You do have to have some thick skin and you do have to come to terms with not everybody will like you. And that's not saying you should be an asshole of a boss. Forgive my language. Please don't do that. But you will have to make unpopular decisions and your leadership skills will be tested and how well you can communicate and your reasons for making those decisions. And hopefully everybody understands that. And if they don't, then they may not be the best fit for your team.
2: Well, and I know along those lines, one of the hardest things I had was switching from like, yeah, we were just sitting in surgery and talking about kids and talking about your family and visiting and being friendly because that's who I am. To then at lunchtime, you and I have a sit down (laughs) because you've been late to work for the last five days. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so, literally, like for me, it was we would walk in and I would say, All right, I'm not your friend right now. I'm your boss. What's going on? You've been late the last five days. We have to talk about this. Right. But
0: we always want to make people grow and do better and succeed. And I think that a lot of the times as an associate or a technician or a receptionist, you don't see that because you don't see the bigger picture on what we want people to progress into. So do you guys have any other comments pros or cons about ownership or any other advice.
1: So we brought up a lot of excellent points tonight. We've dove deep into some really good realities about practice ownership. I guess if I had to say one last thing, don't feel obligated to be an owner. Don't feel like that's the the role and the path you are supposed to take and that you're obligated to take and that you are less than if you don't. Because if it's not for you, you will be miserable. And if you have heard us talk about any of these things and you know yourself and you're like, oh geez, I couldn't handle that. I can't deal with that stress or, you know, this conflict. If you know that that is not in you, then don't do it. Don't bring that pain upon yourself. Don't make it harder for yourself than it needs to be because there is zero shame in that. And there is no expectation of what this job is supposed to look like and what goal you're supposed to achieve. And don't get caught up in the, I need to check this off my list. I need to go from associate to owner to, you know, don't, I mean, because if it's not for you, you're, it's going to be a hell And, and don't, don't bring that upon yourself. If you know yourself and know that's not what you want.
0: So today we talked about the reality of ownership. Obviously, there's a million more things that we can talk about and help you decide if ownership is really something that you want to do. We talked about the biggest thing is finding a mentor or mentors that you can have them open their book for you and help you with the business aspect. Take advantage if ownership is something that you're thinking of, how Melissa had the optional classes that you can do or the elective in school.
1: Erin, just to interject real quick, it made me think, talk to your drug reps. I think the- they are very underutilized in a lot of aspects because we have actually had consultants and practice management workshops and all kinds of stuff paid for by our drug companies and our drug wow. rep. When you're drug rep, I say drug rep, equipment rep or whoever, they always will make the statement, is there anything else we can be doing for you? Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Every time. You would be amazed at what is out there. So take advantage of that.
0: Always let them pay for stuff. On top of all of that, we want to make sure we build a good support team. You want to do it within the practice and outside. And we talked about the pros to ownership, which is scheduling the ability to earn what you want, eventually won't happen right away all the time, you know, and it's not always for everybody. And if you feel that you jumped into a situation that you are not comfortable with, or you feel that it is not for you, it is not failure to leave, you know, this profession is changing, there's a million things that we can do with our degree, not everybody is an owner. And that's okay, because you can dedicate your license to something else in our field to make it continue. Continue to progress. So let's go over to Anne with her life fail today. So
2: I was giggling when I was thinking about what to do for my fail because I was thinking about you and your birthday cards and the wrong phone number. (laughs) (laughs) I like triple checked the Christmas cards and we didn't move but our address changed and stuff. I did all those things and all that hard work and they're all stamped and addressed ready to go for weeks still in my car. Wait, they're stamped even? Oh, in, licked, addresses, stamped, in a box, in my front seat. What's holding you up, Anne? Let's dive deep. What's holding you back? I keep thinking I need to go to the post office and put them all in at once. I've got two that go internationally, so those actually need to, like, have more money on them, which I get. I should have just put five in the mailbox every day.
0: Why don't you just put them all in the mailbox? Do they physically
2: fit in? There's a bunch, though. Will they pick them all up?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: If it fits, it ships, right? If you put the flag up, they're going to pick the mail up. (laughs) I didn't think they would take, like, over 100 cards at once.
0: If you put something in the mailbox and you put the flag up, they're going to take what's in the mailbox, whether you have one thing or 20 things.
2: (laughs) But, like, over 100 things? I mean, there's a lot of letters. How many Christmas cards are you mailing out? It's over 100. Oh, my gosh. I mailed out, like, 15.
1: I mail zero, so...
2: (laughs) But like all the aunts and
0: great aunts and everybody gets one.
1: You love your family more than I love mine. so
0: Seriously, I don't send it to all my family. Only? I'm sorry if anybody is listening. I didn't send Christmas cards to everyone. I like getting them. It's just a process to send them out.
2: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Anne, I would love for you to do something tomorrow morning. Mail my Christmas cards? Put them in the mailbox. Put the flag up. And then next week... That can be your mom your mom when or your <laughs> life when <laughs> finally mailed the card. After Christmas. Yeah. Mailed the card. Right. All right. So I'll do the clinic hack so that way we can end with a win. Okay. Um, so this clinic hack comes from our Instagram giveaway. Yay. Yay. And I'm so excited because we had so many responses and we had some really good ones. Mm-hmm. So Kay Grace Lamb, if you wanted to go follow her, she sent us a message that if you wrap the dental x-ray plate in vet wrap, it'll actually stick better between the teeth. Now I'm going to say this. If I read that comment this morning, it would have saved me so much time because I took so many dental x-rays today and here I was shoving gauze to try and get the thing to say and I was saying I wish it could be a person where I can just say bite. (laughs) (laughs) yep thank you very much Kay Grace Lamb you can follow her at that on her Instagram Kay is going to get one of our amazing beautiful stickers of our logo we are very excited and four other people, as you will hear their hacks over the next few weeks, will also get them. So by the time this is released, I will have already contacted her. And I promise you, Kay Grace Lamb, it will be addressed and stamped <laughs> and mailed within an appropriate amount of time.
1: We're not we're not putting Ann on that job.
0: <laughs> so let's head on over to Melissa for her mom win.
1: So my win actually just happened today. And it's actually kind of a win for moms and kind of as a veterinarian too. Um, So my son has had an up and down fever for a few days. You know, one of those fevers that it's like, eh, it's significant, but it's not horrible. But he's had really no other symptoms. He's complained a little bit of a headache, a little bit of a stomach ache, like, you know, just nothing too bad. So we've been Tylenol, ibuprofen, that kind of thing. Well, then yesterday it spiked to like 103. And you could tell he just, he didn't look good. He didn't feel good. And last night and this morning, he then started complaining complaining about a sore throat. And so I looked in his throat and I was like, that looks like strep throat. So this started an ongoing debate in my household about whether or not we take our son to the doctor for the strep throat diagnosis and whether or not we should potentially start treating with or without that doctor's diagnosis. I know many of you listening have this conversation in your household, no judgment, but I stuck to my guns and said, nope, I'm taking him into the doctor because I am not going to be that mom DVM who doesn't do that. Although there was a big part of the doctor brain in me who was like, I know what this is. I can treat this. I have a busy schedule this morning. Taking him to the doctor is a huge inconvenience, but I did it. So that is my vet win <laughs> that I did in fact take. My I son. am
0: very proud of you.
1: Did take my son to the doctor. And fortunately in our town, I do have a great great relationship with our doctors. We're a small town. We know each other very well. We often discuss cases with their pets and our kids. We have a great relationship. So that is definitely in my favor and my benefit. Uh, so took him in, takes one look at the back of his throat, looks at his history and says, yep, this is strep throat. I said, okay, that's what I thought too. It's like, all right. And so here's my, this is kind of validating my win of actually taking him to the doctor. He put him on an antibiotic that I wouldn't have picked. So my win is I was a good mom and I fought my vet instincts of not taking my son to the actual doctor because had I not done that, I would have made a different decision and I got him on the appropriate treatment and the appropriate medication. And I will say after even just one dose, he is remarkably better. And that was a lesson in humility for me to to sometimes be just the mom. Yes not muddy it up with my medical brain. I hope it gets better. He okay. is better. He's much better.
0: <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us on the bb and Divas podcast. We love to hear what you would think. Contact us on any of our social media platforms. It could be Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Facebook. I don't think I'm missing any. And make sure you follow us on Instagram at bb and Divas because we are going to be doing more giveaways and it's going to be more than just a sticker. So stay tuned. And join us next week as we go beyond the Sessicoes.